But what really happens is there isn't really like a, a struggle to give up bad habits. You may put a little effort there, but you take on so many new habits that the old habits get pushed away. You know, as your uh, consciousness grows, as your realization grows, you outgrow your your old habits, the ones that you needed to, to change. And sometimes you didn't even realize it. You know, that this particular activity that I did was uh, especially bad for me. How are you doing? Great, you? I'm doing okay. So the idea is to put so much positive in that the negative just flows away. Yeah, so it's not like we have to work on some big, big uh, effort to give up. And that's what it looks like, you know, in the beginning. I, I want to become, I want to take up spiritual life. So that means I have to give up so many anartas. Anartha is a Sanskrit word for unwanted things, unwanted things in, uh, in my activities, things that I do, you know, uh, things that I do that are not conducive to my spiritual development. Gee whiz, I really didn't think about that before. You know, um, that's like if someone wants to... Uh, improve their health and they want to go on a healthy diet. All of a sudden they start to analyze the positive. These are the positive things that I should be eating for my health. And then there's the negative things that have been contributing to my dis-ease. You see, they've been injuring my health. So if I take on enough of these new positive things that have a positive influence in my diet, the negative things get pushed away. You see? So in the beginning, you may think, oh gosh, I've got to give up chocolate cake and ice cream. You may think like that. But the actual application is that you take on so many positive things that have a real positive effect on you. And the idea of the other things kind of just kind of, they pull away. So spiritual life is, is more taking on than giving up. The negative things will automatically go away. Yeah. You know? So, we're going to talk about pain <laughs> management. Why is it when I say pain, I think of all of you guys? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So we're not going to talk about the kind of pain that you get if you sprain your ankle, stub your toe, or if you have a toothache. We're not going to talk about that pain, although we can some if you want to. Uh, I mean, if you really want to talk about pain, I think Krishna Nam and I can trump you, can't we? Oh, yeah. You know, you guys can keep up with us. <laughs> Once you go past a certain number of decades on this planet, you become kind of an expert on pains. You uh, you get pains in places you didn't know you had. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you discover parts of your body that are hurting. That's how you discover you have them. <laughs> I didn't know I had that thing. 
You see, so uh, we're gonna we're not gonna talk about that pain uh, unless you just have a particular physical pain you just have to want you know, to put on the table. That's okay. But first, let's try to focus on uh, pain in the heart. You see, this pain of the heart, uh, things suffering. And they are not necessarily somebody standing over you, hitting you or puncturing your body. It's not a physical happening. Uh, pain, basically, the scientific description of, of pain is just a nerve. It's a nerve reflex. It sends this signal to your brain, like something has just punctured the outer skin. Danger, danger. And that's all it is, you see. So your, your brain interprets that as, ouch, you see. Uh, but if you become a little uh, trained up, you can just, you, you can realize this is just my body saying that there's been a puncture or something. Actually, your most of your insides don't really have much of a feeling, you know, like your kidney doesn't have, uh, but so, so some people can actually overcome that pain. And that's, it's called a pain threshold. Some people have a high one and some people have a low one. Uh, typically, uh, Brahminical people tend to have a very low pain resistance or tolerance. Uh, Chatriyas have probably a little higher, you see. So, but let's talk about uh, pain in the heart, you see. Uh, what do we mean when we say pain in the heart? Does it mean my heart feels like it's got a, a dagger in it? It's really pain in the mind feels like it's coming from my heart, but it's pain in the mind. In other words, I am <clears throat> perceiving uh, something that's giving me great distress. You see? Uh, someone has, uh, uh, let's say, let me down some way. You know? Now, what actually happened? I had an expectation of a, of a certain relationship. And it turned out that my expectation or my estimation was actually lower than I thought it was. And that makes me feel great distress. Now, what just happened? I did some math in my head and I recalculated. You see what I mean? Maybe the person was always that way. You see? Maybe they always were not quite uh, the friend that you thought they were. So what's going, it's, it's within you. You've got these uh, pains. So pains oftentimes, maybe most of the time, come from the type of pain we're talking about, come from relationships, you see, are interfacing with each other. So The title is actually kind of misleading. We're going to talk a little bit about pain management, but mostly I want to talk about, um, oh, let's see, what was the other title I was going to use, but I decided on this one, um, pain, uh, 
I'm having a, what is it when you dodge something? You, uh, uh, avoidance, pain avoidance, which is, should be much more attractive to us than pain management. You see, if I have to manage pain, that means I have it and I have to manage it. If I can avoid pain, I don't have to manage it. You see, I never felt the, you see what I mean? So let's go for a little while on uh, pain management now. And this is emotional, okay? So are we going to do the, the questions? And... Yeah, we, we're ready. Okay. In case you need some stuff. Is everybody cocked and locked? And, yeah, I see you guys. Step ahead, I'm telling you. So write down any questions or comments that as we go along about pain management and or avoidance. So managing pain. Uh, we have to become very sober. You see, we have to become very sober when it comes to this, this type of pain, pain from a relationship, pain that this is basically my perception. In other words, I'm not getting what I wanted. And perhaps I'm throwing a little bit of a hissy fit. You know, I'm upset that you didn't live up to my standards that I threw at you. I imposed a certain standard on you. And so I have determined that I feel some hurt because you didn't do what I wanted you to do or the, the image of you that I had built was greater than the image that you really are. Does that make any sense? Yeah. You see? Um, so, um, how can we manage this ongoing? Hey, Arjun Sarki's here. Well, this ongoing situation of pain that comes at us from... Uh, from beyond, Hare from Krishna. relationships. Hare Krishna! Arjun Sarathi. The wandering sun. All auspicious signs were out there today, we could see. Thank you so much for coming. You look smashing. So, first of all, we have to figure out what is the true relationship? You, you are a living entity. We're not talking about relationships that might have to do with my next door neighbor, the people at work. You know, I had a lot of faith in my coworker, seemed like a good friend. You know, we would always go to lunch together and come to find out he was doing something behind my back to get the promotion that was coming up. Oh, you see. So I saw more in that relationship than is really there. So why do we do that? Why do we do that? Because we don't understand the ultimate relationships. What is the ultimate relationship? Ultimate relationship is the relationship that you as a living entity have with the supreme living entity. 
Krishna, God. You see, that's the ultimate relationship. Um, that's an eternal loving relationship. It, it never flickers. Krishna never lets you down. We know that. We know that. We've forgotten it or we've forgotten that we know it. You see, sometimes you may see something, you, you may think that I don't know this or I don't know that. And then you, you see something that reminds you and you think, oh, I actually did know that. I forgot that I knew that. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we, we know our relationship with the Supreme, but we've forgotten it. It's become co covered over, you see? So, but we know it. It's part of what we are. We are an eternal, close, loving, affectionate associate of the Supreme Lord, you see? So therefore we expect that from, we expect that to manifest in this material world, you see? Now in the material world, there's not a lot of eternal relationship, is there? There's not a lot of eternal anything. Mm -hmm. It's not a place that you need to go if you want something that's eternal because things have a duration here. They have cycles, you see. We're upset now because the climate seems to be changing. It is changing. And there's nothing new about it. It's always been changing. What makes us think that we have this little globe and it's always been spot on. <laughs> Well, that blows, that's, well, that's ridiculous. If we buy into, oh, this, even if we listen to the scientists, the same scientists that say, well, you know, climate change or whatever, when they tell you how the world was formed, you know, one time it was very hot, it's been cooling off, of, all right, then how can you be surprised that it's changing? Because you're set from what you're saying, it's just always been changing, right? So, but we know of a place where the climate doesn't change. Our home, where we come from, uh, with Krishna, is, is, is perfect. It's a place where things don't have a duration. It's a place where things don't have an appearance and a disappearance, you see? And therefore, we're disturbed by this material world. I mean, if, for instance, let me give an example. The death rate of our planet has always been 100%. Everything that appears here disappears here, right? We know that. We know that. Uh, especially once you get past a certain age, you have absolutely know that. You know, when you're young, you may be surprised when your first puppy dies. Oh, no, it's... But after so many puppies and after so many people around you, after you get to be a certain age, you look around, I was thinking today, the number of people that I know that have died, the number is huge, isn't it? When we were in our 20s, you didn't know that many people that died. now... You know, especially I look at the, there's almost always some Prabhupada disciple, another one that's just left their body, you know, so, so many of them. So we're, 
but, but we're, we're a little alarmed at this disappearance of these personalities, you see? Associates, relatives, pets, you see? So, uh, but yet it's the natural position of our planet. You don't have to be really bright and educated to figure that out. And yet it gives us some disturbance. That means that you know of something better. Otherwise, you'd just be okay with it. You'd be in tune with it, right? Now, here's the example. It's like if, um, if you were on a, let's say you were born in a place and there are no snakes and you've never seen a snake. Nobody in your world and on your planet, it's like Hawaii, Hawaii, there's no snakes. So, but what if there was a planet that you were born on that has no snakes? Never has had a snake. None of the people there have ever seen a snake. There's no conception of a snake. And so if you're walking along and you see a piece of rope kind of coiled alongside the road, there's no chance that you'll think, oh, that's a snake. Right? But because you see something like that, or you may see a stick or something, you've been out in the desert and you see, all of us have done this, you see something like a stick or something, ah, that could be a snake, right? Yeah. It's because you have the concept of the existence of snakes. If you didn't have that in your mind, then you would not think that this could be a, a legless creature that might bite me. Yeah. And it might be, it might inject poison. Why would you do that, right? So because you know or you feel some agitation uh, of things dying around you, of climate changing, of people letting you down, that's the nature of this world. Because you feel some agitation, that means you have experience of something where there is no agitation like this, where people don't let you down. The climate doesn't change. You see what I mean? Otherwise, are we all so stupid that we expect something that's never happened on our planet? In this world that we know to be the all in all, we're asking for something. That, so when you meet someone, you want the perfect relationship. Has there ever been such a relationship on this planet? Yes, if you carry it over into the spiritual relationships. Spiritual relationships are a mirror of the relationships in the perfect world, the real world, the spiritual world. Uh, people who are pursuing spiritual life tend to think that We've got this great big wonderful world here and somewhere there's heaven and it's like a little star up there. You've got it upside down and backwards. The spiritual world is the reality. It encompasses most of everything. And we are some little portion in that sky, in that spiritual sky. This material world is just like a cloud. In the, in the spiritual sky, you see. So that's the real world. 
and we're from that world, so therefore, somehow or other in our consciousness, we kind of expect some perfection, you see, in the world and in our relationships. We've tasted the perfect relationship with the Supreme. And not only that, if you go back in history, with each other, we've had perfect relationships with each other. Before we fell into the illusion that brought us to this material world. We've enjoyed perfect relationships for how long? For eternity. Until we came here, we never knew anything different. You see, that's why it hurts. That's why it hurts when there's a little bit of a letdown. And that's why we overestimate some of our relationships. You see? Because I'm thinking, here we are, I meet you and I think you're wonderful, and so I'm, now I'm seeing us kind of like in the spiritual world together, the way we were, once were. And I'm not realizing, wait a minute, you've got some material consciousness. You, or maybe you still have some remnants of material consciousness. You see, the devotees haven't, all of us haven't thrown that, that out. There's still some little uh, contamination. But how does that contamination manifest? What is that material contamination? It's faith in the material energy. We have faith in the material energy. You see, I haven't been completely convinced yet that the material energy uh, isn't just a crock of something bad and stinky, you see. I haven't been fully convinced. Maybe 99%, but I still have a little bit of faith that I can squeeze some uh, taste out of the material energy. So therefore, I go looking for it from time, so maybe even subconsciously, I'm look, a little bit looking for it. You see, on a material basis, you see. So you may meet someone, even if they may be in spiritual consciousness, and they still may have a tinge uh, of this. Well, should you be shocked? No. <laughs> you see? So, how do we manage pain? This relationship uh, relationship imposed pain. Is that a good way to put it? Which is our basically our perception. I imposed on you a certain um, rigorous behavior that I expect from you. And you don't do it. Now I'm really upset. That all happened up here, you see. So, uh, if I can see myself as an eternal loving servitor of Krishna, eternal meaning always have been, always will be, and right now, you see, not just before I came here, even when we were traveling through these bodies, body after body, thinking that we're this individual or that animal or whatever, we were still 
an eternal loving associate of Krishna. We just had lost track of that. We, we were suffering spiritual ident uh, amnesia, spiritual identity loss, and thinking we were something else. <clears throat> so here we are coming out of this uh, amnesia. We're coming out of it. Our memory is starting to come back. Because we're associating with each other and we're chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Oops, I just got a little bit more of my memory back. You see, as you vibrate that sound, you're actually associating with Krishna. You see, so you get that original relationship back through that sound vibration. And so that's it's it's being your memory is being jarred a little bit, you see, it's awakening. So therefore, we chant. We chant a lot. We chant a lot every day. We try to chant constantly. And uh, if we do it the right way, then rapid progress can be made to reestablishing that relationship with Krishna. You see. And as that relationship is reawakened, then I can understand my relationship with all of the living entities here. Well, you're in the same position that I'm in. Gee whiz. We, uh, we, we were like on a, uh, on a boat, and, and the boat was giving us great shelter, but we fell overboard, you see? And I may have uh, a leg up over the bow and an arm, but I'm still wet and I'm still in the water, but I'm, you see what I'm, 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 I'm getting out and I see that you're still struggling. I am here, take my hand, let's get out of this thing together. You see, that's, that's what we're doing in this Krishna consciousness. We're getting ourselves saved and then we're helping all of those around us who we can influence to come with it, come on, let's get back our uh, original consciousness, you see, and our re original relationship, not only with God, but with each other, you see? So I can see, like if I just pull you out of the, out of the drink, you know, you've been saved, now you're back on the boat, well, you're still wet. So those of you who are chanting Hare Krishna and uh, doing devotional service, uh, you've been saved, but you're still in the drying off period. Some of you will dry off real fast. Some of you will splash a little bit more water, you know, because I don't know if I want to dry off this quick. It's kind of nice being in the cold water. I kept thinking that maybe the cold water would give me some benefit. Does that make any sense? So... If I can understand my, my lost relationship with Krishna, and my lost relationship with you, then I'm going to cut you some slack. If you may let me down in my concept of how you should be. Does that make any sense? Because I know who you are. Why, well, you're a close personal associate of Krishna. You see, now you may not be doing exactly the way I want you to, 
but I'm not going to live, at least I'm going to minimize the amount of pain that's going to enter my heart. The only pain that I may have, instead of me being let down because you hurt me, mostly I'm going to be let down because you hurt you. Gee whiz, we had you pretty much out of the water and you, you jump back in. You know? <laughs> Gosh, what are you doing? You see, it's like they say a, a horse, they say horses will run into a, a burning barn. You can, the, the barn's on fire. Uh, the old farmer shoes the horses out to save them. The horse gets out of the barn and he thinks, but that, I was born there and all my food, I've been fed there. I nursed my mother there. That's why that's my shelter. I'm conditioned. And they turn and they run back into the burning barn. You ever heard that? No? Yeah, it's somewhere way back in the last century, they used to say things like that. You know? So, but it's, uh, it's based on that. So... Uh, I'm going to get to the questions here in just a second, but let me read from Krishna. I've got four verses. And the eighth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, 13, 14, 15, and 16 verses. So I'm going to run through the translations real quick. And you can start writing or not. Krishna says, after being situated in this yoga practice and vibrating the sacred syllable Om, the supreme combination of letters, if one thinks of the supreme personality of Godhead and quits his body, he will certainly reach the spiritual planets. Now, what does that mean? You don't take another birth here. You don't come back to this planet and have to deal with the changing climate on this planet. I got news for you. The climate's changing on all of those planets out here in this material world, not just this one. You see, the moon is changing and Mars and it's all, is it happening so fast we can see it? In many cases, no. Oh, but Krishna says, time I am, destroyer of worlds. So time, Kala. Uh, eternal time is is doing its magic on everything. Even if you take a diamond and you put it out in the wind, just the wind blowing across the diamond will wear it down in time. You see, it, you may be say, saying, yeah, but that's so slow, I don't even notice that. I'll never even notice any of that in my lifetime. Yes, but this isn't your only lifetime back up and look at the bigger picture that if you could speed up time you'd see the diamond going just from the wind you see so uh, if you can remember uh, Krishna at the time of death Prabhupada says something very interesting in, in the purport here it's clearly stated here that Om Brahman and Lord Krishna are not different. The impersonal sound of Krishna is Aum. Now we all, we've all heard of that, and it's true. But what did Prabhupada say? The impersonal 
sound of Krishna is Om. But the sound Hare Krishna contains Om. Om is within because you get the personality of Krishna, the personality of Godhead. You see, your personality in, includes all of your outer stuff. You see, the personality is the essence of you. The chanting of the Hare Krishna mantra is clearly recommended for this age. So if one quits his body at the end of life, chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, 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 Hare Hare, he certainly reaches one of the spiritual planets according to the mode of his practice. The devotees of Krishna enter the Krishna planet, Goloka Brindavan. For the personalist, there are also in, uh, uh, innumerable other planets. This ultimate relationship with Krishna isn't the only. It's Goloka Brindavan. Krishna is the beautiful young boy, charming, approachable. You see, that's not the only planet. There are innumerable planets in the spiritual world. Innumerable. Far, far many more than there are in this material world. And there are different personalities of Godhead on those planets. And Krishna boldly says again and again in Bhagavad Gita, I am the supreme personality of Godhead. Why? Because I'm the one you share love with. You don't have to grovel around me. Well, I am Krishna. I'm your dear most friend. Shuri Dam Sarva Bhutana. I'm the Shuri, the best friend of all living entities. You see? Shuri Dam Sarva Bhutana. Sarva all living entities. You see? I'm your best friend. If you're not looking for your best friend and you want someone that you can be a little bit afraid of and on reverence, well, that's me too. But not in this form of Krishna. Maybe Narayan. You see? If that is according to your practice, according to what you're seeking. <clears throat> so what we want to do is to let people know there is available this relationship with Krishna as your dear most loving friend. Free from fear. No awe and reverence. Krishna does not uh, find awe and reverence very palatable. Krishna wants intimate, loving associate, association. Deeply intimate, uh, without fear. Sorry. Uh, no, go ahead. Is this, what, you know, in, 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 our, in our movement, sometimes it's looked down upon if someone is too, let's say, intimate or familiar with, with, with a senior devotee or someone who we should we should have a certain level of respect or esteem. Why is it why is it different with Krishna? Why is it that Krishna is in our like, in our movement yeah. we're training. We're in training. It's like uh, Prabhupada wanted the deities in Iskand to be wor worshipped as Lakshmi Nishrin, uh, excuse me, Narayan. Uh, Opulence. Mm -hmm. We don't dress Krishna like a cowherd boy. Right. Once in a while we might. But basically, no, we don't dress Krishna 
like a, uh, you know, like a cowherd boy that's just about to take the cows out in the fields. He's got opulent, opulent dress, jewelry. So we need a little bit in our current situation, a little bit of on reverence. We need that. Oh, see, we need that now. That's also there uh, on reverence to some degree in our leadership. In, in Guru, there's a little bit of awe and reverence. You know, you may meet a, a, a GBC, and there needs to be some awe and reverence there. You don't just run up and say, howdy, bub, and throw your arms around him. <laughs> so you're the GBC, huh? You know, you, there's a little bit of, so we're, we're learning, you see, but we're heading towards that point to where we will be, um, no on reverence towards the Supreme Godhead. That's where we in ISKCON are going. Other <clears throat> sampradayas and other practices may be heading for, intentionally, in heading for a more, uh, um, a different type of relationship with the Supreme. Some, something like on reverence. That's their desire. There's nothing wrong with that. So what happens once you get, yeah? There's a difference between using awe and reverence as a stepping stone and seeing it as the goal or the original big difference relationship with Krishna. Because you right. see that in Vrindavan in the Tura area. Um, a lot of the, what's called Brajavasis, they don't, they have a more familiar relationship with Krishna than right. they do. And sometimes to the visitor there, the outsider who goes there, they might, they might be thrown off. Like, oh, you guys look at Krishna more familiar, more more familiar than we do. And even some of their uh, uh, deity worship more casual. Yeah, throwing the garland on Krishna, you know, almost like playing a game of horseshoes or something. Where they're like <laughs> tossing the garland <laughs> over the man. But yeah. there, they know what they're doing. It's prescribed, so right. different. And we're in that process of growing toward, in, in this sampradaya, of growing towards that uh, familiar, familiarity in relationship with Krishna. Krishna, throughout your uh, devotional career, he will do things to impose that on you. He will get close to you. He will do things especially if you're working as a pajari, working with the deity, bathing the deity and feeding the deity. Krishna will do things. He will get you in situations. I was in a situation one time, it wasn't out of my, I didn't plan it, but I was in a situation where I had to carry <clears throat> Kalachanji. Myself and a few, we had, we had to carry, he was like a helpless little boy. <clears throat> that was our realization. You know, we're carrying, we had to carry him across the temple room to put him on the temporary altar so we could build the altar they have now. So we had to carry him. And he was like some helpless little boy. He had his clothes off, you know. So he, he didn't have the crown and the jewelry. Wasn't holding his flute. You see? He's like, you're not going to drop me, are you? You know, it was... 
that was a very familiar moment, you see. I felt that I had to take care of him. I realized it was my responsibility that if anything happened, you know, this, this is my soul here. So I'm telling everybody, here's how we're going to do this, you know. And it was so scary. I was afraid we were going to drop him, you know. It, it, was so, it was such a scary thing that when we moved them back, Months later, after we finished the new altar, I devised a whole new way to move them. I told them, I told the devotees, we're not going to carry them back. I'm, not, I'm never going to go through that again. That was like, felt like my heart was going to explode. Get this, it was the day after Ikadashi. You know what that means? You know what we do in ISKCON to Krishna deities on Ikadashi? We rub him down with butter. I had just given him a, a massage of but, in butter the day before. And here it is, Dwadashi, the next, the day after Ikadashi, and we're trying to carry him across the door. <laughs> 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 Swami, is, he's, he was across from me in his head. We had our arms up underneath him and we're looking at each other because we could feel it slip behind the, ah! you know, all the devotees' eyes were really big and we were, ah! and he seemed like he kept getting heavier. <laughs> I mean, he felt like he weighed a thousand pounds. <laughs> at one point, there were six Brahmins kept trying to carry him. Is this pure marble? Yeah. yeah. You're looking at at least 300 pounds. Wow. He, yeah, but you know, we could, we, at first we, we were able to handle it, but he got heavier. What we figured out later is we were taking him away from Radharani. <laughs> I suddenly looked up at Radharani and I, all of a sudden I did the math. This is why you're doing this. <laughs> you're, you're, he didn't want to leave her and we're taking him away. So when we went back to get her, you know, she's got to weigh a good 250 pounds. She's marble too. We went to pick her up. I called other guys. I said, we're going to, we need more men. So, but it was going to be like two of us. It was Maturanath and I that picked her up so that the others could get a hold. She felt like styrofoam. Nikki, <laughs> <laughs> what is I know what's going on. You want to go to him, don't you? Why, two of us care. I think I might have been able to carry her by myself, but two of us could have done it. But still, we had like, started out with six, and we let two of them stop because this was easy. She was in a hurry to get down to that, you know, here he's standing there, you know, <laughs> with no flute, you know. <laughs> carrying her and I'm looking and Kalachanji's not playing his flute he's just whistling <laughs> so, <laughs> so he, he will do things to you to impose this now I mean if we were all uh, on reverence that would have been a way different mood but he was like some little boy he was very childish I don't want to leave her around here. I'm going to be heavy. 
<laughs> so, uh, Krista goes on, for one who always remembers me without deviation, I am easy to obtain, O son of Krita, because of this of his constant engagement in devotional service. Because you are constantly in, engaged in devotional service, it's easy to remember Krishna at the time of death. Remember the previous verse, if you think of me at the time of death, then he says, if you're constantly engaged, then you'll remember me. So he tells you what to do, then he tells you what to, uh, how to do it, how to achieve that. Then he goes on, after attaining me, the great souls who are yogis in devotion never return to this temporary world, which is full of miseries because they have attained the highest perfection. I'll read one more. From the highest planet to, in the material world down to the lowest, all are places of misery, wherein repeated birth and death takes place. But one who attains my abode, O son of Kunti, never takes birth again. Therefore, you have um, avoided having to manage pain. You have avoided pain, you see. If you take to this devotional service, your, the pain in this lifetime will fade because of your perception of same, said pain, you see. There may be people who may let you down, but I can see you're an eternal uh, servant of Krishna. Mm. You're going to make, you're on your way. You're going to make it. You're chanting Hare Krishna. You're going to do this. You're, you're, your time in this material world is finished. You see? So, um, in other words, we can learn to cut some slack to our fellow man. This perception of pain, basically, or let's just say this pain comes from a perception. I think you should behave differently than you are. And I'm allowing that to hurt me. It doesn't mean that you care less, but you have to understand. It may be difficult. It may be difficult. But a lot less difficult if you don't have this understanding. You see what I mean? A lot less difficult than, than if you had this understanding of who these entities are that I'm associating with. You see what I mean? If I think I'm my body and you're your body, and yet I try to impose this uh, relationship perfection on you, I'm going to suffer all my life. Yeah. You know? I'm going to, all my life, from time to time, I'm going to have some difficulties. All right, question number one. <clears throat> Can it all... Never mind, you understand my question before I could write it. Thank you. Okay, I missed that. <laughs> Doesn't mean the question was bad. Uh, okay, how do you feel with self-caused pain, such as guilt when we make a mistake? Um, yeah, 
things that we do to ourselves. I feel guilty. Uh, be able to say, what is it? I think we used to say the five magic words. I admit I made a mistake. Six. <laughs> five or six. You could even throw in one more and have seven. I admit I made a mistake. Gee whiz, I made a mistake. I think I was wrong. You see? It doesn't hurt. Because I have this persona that I'm trying to project to the world, I may not want to admit that I made a mistake. I dropped the ball there. I made a mistake. Uh, if someone look, has, has made a mistake and they look at you and say, gee whiz, I made a mistake. What, what, how, what's your... What are you going to do if they've made a mistake? You're going to continue still to yell at them? That kind of, you may, <laughs> but it's going to soften it. Yeah. You know, if you're expecting someone to say, well, you did this, because that's typically, well, I did this. Well, you is because of you or society. In other words, the world makes me the way I am. No, you know what? I kind of thought that we make the world the way it is. Isn't that the way it is? Really? Really and truly. Yeah. We make the world the way it is. The world doesn't make you the way you are. It's how you try to interface with the world. You know? I didn't like... Um, she was not like my karma. I was born poor. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> I don't like my karma well whose fault is my karma yeah. <laughs> me so from whatever for whatever reason I was born poor because of past activities or I was born uh, handicapped or you name it fill in the bad thing you see so uh, it, without this understanding, that could cause you some pain. You know? I was born into a rotten family. Everybody else had great families. Moms were cooking for them, and dad was always there. And they had plenty of money, lived in a great house, you know. Had the biggest Christmas tree on Christmas. Santa always came to their house. You see what I mean? Yeah. So, <laughs> but I was born in this little tiny house and we didn't have a big Christmas tree. Santa didn't always come. All right, how did you get there? You got yourself there by your activities based on your decisions on how to act. You know, I'm not saying you're a bad person. Just say, I made a mistake. I got myself in a jam. But I'm getting out of it, you see. As a matter of fact, if you start chanting Hare Krishna and start uh, revitalizing your lost relationship with Krishna, you, you're already out of it. You're already there. You just don't know it yet. You haven't realized where you are, you see. None of you, none of you have realized yet. You'll be surprised when you get to know your position. So... Uh, um, things like guilt. I impose that on myself. 
I shouldn't have done that. All right, so beat yourself up as long as you feel as productive. But don't let it get unproductive. You see? If you're associating with the right people, they're not going to try to resurface the guilt. You made a mistake, but yet you got right back in there and you're trying to serve Krishna again. Only a very low-class devotee would say, well, I see you're trying so hard to serve, but you're the guy that made that mistake. I remember last year when you made a mistake. <laughs> no, the advanced devotees, are they, they, don't, they don't even see it. They don't see it. That mistake, yeah, yeah, maybe it's all gone now. Time has, uh, has dealt with it. Does that make any sense? So maybe chastise yourself a little bit because you made a mistake. And get over it. Move on. Uh, how do you um, how do you overcome that you made a mistake? Do a lot of things that aren't a mistake. If you've got one mistake and then you've got a whole stack of things that aren't mistakes, well, this looks pretty insignificant, right? You know? But if you always walk around, yeah, well, I made a mistake. You know, I could never take up any leadership or anything because I made a mistake. Then you're you're holding yourself down. Yeah. I think it's unrealistic to even think that you won't make a mistake. I mean, I think it's ridiculous that anyone would even impose that on someone. Yeah. Or make them feel like if they make a mistake, then somehow you're disqualified from a particular yeah. position. Um, naturally, we already know that we have four defects, and one of them is we make mistakes. We make mistakes. So, I mean, I, I think that's that, guaranteed. Yeah, it's gonna happen. If you're in this, if you're in this material world in a material body, right, you will make mistakes. Right. Period. So get over it. The way to get over it within your head is to is to continue and do. Do things that aren't mistakes. Mm -hmm. Do the right thing. I did the wrong thing. Okay, now I'm going to do the right thing. I learned from that. You know, I learned mm -hmm. from, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it differently now. You see? Mm -hmm. So, uh, beside the threefold miseries and separation from Krishna, what pain is there in higher Lokas, uh, demigod and jiva. Okay, so what pain is there in the higher planets? Uh, in the higher material planets, you know, the heavenly planets, there is less pain. Less pain. There's so much enjoyment that it appears to be the kind of the absence of pain, except. There still is old age. You may live for hundreds of thousands of years on Lord Indra's planet, and there is no noticeable climate change. <laughs> you don't have the so many of the uh, afflictions that we have in this ma material planet of Earth. Earth is like in the middle. If you've got the hellish planets, the description in the Srimad Bhagavatam of the hellish planets sounds very much like the hell you hear about in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Fiery. And then 
the heavenly planets, Lord Indra's planet, sounds very much like the description of heaven. The streets are gold and the gates are made of pearl. Isn't it amazing how those two things come up in different uh, writings, in different parts of the world, in different times? You know, the Srimad Bhagavatam was like maybe 3,000 years earlier. And they're talking about this. Yeah. I, was, I would say, too, um, that the, they seem to experience miseries of the mind in the higher locus, the demigods included. They, you know, in the stories of the demigods and the promise, they suffer from problems like ego, jealousy, yeah. greed, anger, you know, and things like that. So they Sometimes lust. Sometimes you have demons like Hiranyakasipu who cause everything to overheat because they're getting power. And they have to go approach Lord Vishnu. Help! You know, so there are some things like that. But yeah, there are, there, there, there are fewer. But ultimately, it's like in the, uh, in the upper heavenly planets. You may live a couple hundred thousand years, and there's no old age except maybe six months before you die. So six months out of a, over 200,000 years, you're old. And then you die. There's still some minute disease, you know. So it's, it's heavenly. It's heaven-like. But basically it has the same thing that we have in this material world. Therefore, we don't want to go there. We don't want to go there. You've been there. Because when you go there, when your punya or your spiritual bank account runs out, you come back here. Mm -hmm. That's like if you go check into a five-star resort, Canyon Ranch. Have you ever heard of Canyon Ranch? You check in the Canyon Ranch, and it's what? How much do you think it is at Canyon Ranch? A thousand bucks a night or more? Yeah, it's pretty expensive. Yeah, so it's... $1,500 a night. <laughs> it's just like far out. It's great. Everything about the place is great. They enjoy a very good reputation. And I hear that people come back there every year. You know, cause Even though it's expensive, it's just great. But if you check in, you lay down your credit card. You know, they want to see your credit card when you check in. You lay it down. And you've got a certain credit limit, right? When you exhaust that credit limit, they're going to come to you and say, you got to go now. <laughs> you see, you've exhausted your uh, punya, your positive account. So it's like that in the, uh, in the upper planetary system. You it's know, like when, a country club where they wait for their good karma to run out together. See, that's all it is. Therefore, we don't recommend that you strive to go. You know, because you, you go there, you can go there and party for a long time. It's People are beautiful. There's lots of sex life, dancing and music, opulent food. You see, but it's when your punya runs out, your pious activities that you've accumulated, then you have to come back here. You see, it's like if you go to Hawaii, you know, you 
You go there on your vacation, you spend all your money, then you have to come back and go to work again. Try to do, you see? So maybe I'll go next year. So we don't recommend that you put forth so much effort to go to the, the heavenly planets. You can't stay. You can stay a long time. But ultimately you have to leave. It's like when you go to India. Remember, we, went, we, we were there, what, six weeks? When you first get there, you first get off the plane in Calcutta. And they got six weeks in India. Why, there's no hurry at all. We're going to be here a long time. This is going to be great, isn't it? And then all before you know it, it's time to catch the cab to go to Delhi to catch the plane and come back to the United States. It may be a long time, but it has a duration. You end up with that moment, hey, we've got to go. It's time to pack up and get out of here, you see? So uh, let's plan to go someplace where we don't have to come back. We go and we stay. It's where we should have stayed when we were there before, and we could have, but we chose not to. So Krishna says, if you remember me always, if you worship me, become my devotee, become my loving associate, then you'll remember me at the time of death and you'll come back to me and you won't come back here anymore so that you'll never understand anymore or you'll never experience pain. You won't know. The only pain that you'll have when you're back with Krishna, what kind of pain? You think there's pain? What kind of pain? Not seeing Krishna. We're not seeing him. Pain of separation. Yeah, because he may be there with you, and he may hide. Where is he? Where did Krishna go? And he may be over behind a tree snickering. You know, Krishna, where are you? And then you hear his flute. There you are. You may have to chase him through the forest until you catch him, you see. So there's that pain because I'm so attached to Krishna. If I don't have him in my, in my vision, I feel separation, which isn't all suffering. There's a sweetness to being separated from your beloved because you anticipate having them back. And you know that you will get them back. This is something else that you should know as a, as a soul, that you will get Krishna back. If, if you didn't know that, then you could never have full faith in it. But you know that you'll get Krishna back, just like you know of a world where there is no climate change. There is no disease. There are relationships that are eternal. That includes you and Krishna. So you know on the soul level, you know that you will get him back. Otherwise, it would take a heck of a lot of faith to have association with the Supreme Godhead, you see. But you have the knowledge. You know it in your, in your soul. Uh, all right. I want to dry off quickly. How can I do that? being so conditioned. Um, 
First of all, stop throwing water on yourself as much as you can. You're going to dry off. Stop. Stop doing the things that are not conducive to your spiritual advancement and do the things that are conducive to your spiritual advancement. You know, we have to, uh, I mean, we, we say it all the time and we more, repeat it again and again. You have to chant. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram, You have to chant it a lot. You have to chant it every day. What does Krishna say here? Always remember me. He doesn't say, you know, hey, once a week, get together with, with some other folks and, you know, maybe for an hour or so and think about me. You know, or think about each other. Or, you know. The Bible says pray ceasingly nonstop. Always think of, think of me. Yeah, he says pray the same continuously. thing. Always. Continuously. Always. Why, why should you stop? You see? So, um, yeah, we... We want to do this devotional practice. This is what we do. We start to think of Krishna from, from uh, chanting Hare Krishna. Krishna answers that prayer by giving you devotional service. Here's how you can serve me. So then you take up the devotional service and you feel happy. You become attached to it. And even if you'll find yourself thinking of your service. And that's thinking of Krishna. Thinking of your service to Krishna is thinking of Krishna. It's like when you and your wife are planning this room, that's devotional service, right? Does it mean that you're actually thinking of Krishna's face? No, no but you're thinking of how he's going to be when you offer this to him, right? So it's, it's devotional service. Thinking, devotional service to Krishna and Krishna are one and the same. It's, it's your eternal activity, showing your love for God. Chanting Hare Krishna is the same as associating with Krishna. You see, they're one and the same. So, does that make any sense? So therefore we strive to be engaged in, and if you do this, then you'll find yourself talking about Krishna. Things like uh, trivia become no, no longer important to you. The, de the definition of trivia is something that's not important. Well, come on, think about it. If it's not important, why are you memorizing it and talking about it? <laughs> you see? Now, that's kind of strange in the material world because some people think, yeah, but trivia is really fun. <laughs> you see? But to the devotee who's aspiring to get Krishna in his arms, I don't have time for trivia. I want things that are that are truly important. What's important? My loving Krishna. My loving exchange with Krishna. That's important. You see? Wise people don't memorize things that 
are not necessary to be memorized. Case in point, Albert Einstein. When he got a phone, um, he wouldn't memorize his phone number. You see? The reason why? He said, why should I memorize something that I can e easily look up? When I, mean, I can write my phone number down and put it on a piece of paper in my pocket. So why should I memorize something? I want to memorize things that are really important. You know, I don't call myself very often. I don't call my wife very often. In those days, you know, the phones, phones were just getting around and it wasn't a common thing, but he was a wealthy guy and he had a phone. But he didn't memorize the phone number. Most people did. Someone would say, what's your phone number? And he would say, oh, well, let me see. Uh, it's 555. You know. <laughs> so this is, the, uh, this is wisdom. So the devotee ha has a tendency. As you love somebody, you want to think only of your beloved. So the devotee has a tendency to think about Krishna and serving Krishna and associating with others who feel that same way. You associate with someone who's in love with serving Krishna, and they'll remind you of Krishna. And you think, wow, you're fun to hang with because you've got some great realizations. When I listen to you talk about Bhagavad Gita and what you've studied and Bhagavatam, and your, your realizations of that, wow, that's interesting. It's delightful, you see. So it, it changes. You get so your mind gets so occupied with thinking uh, of Krishna and how to catch Krishna that you stop thinking about things that don't have anything to do with Krishna and catching hold of Krishna. Does that make any sense? They don't have any importance to you. You don't have to try. You don't have to put in put forth any extra effort. It'll handle itself. So. All right, any questions, comments, before we sign off? I was thinking that Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita that what Narjuna is saying, you know, I'm acting unwillingly because of this, this force is impelling me. And Krishna says this is the force of lust. Yeah. So this, I mean, this conditioned state is very powerful. It's, it can be a little daunting. It's like it forces us. Yeah. Because we've been conditioned so long, so it's like, it can be a little intimidating. Yeah. I have such intense desires that I feel like I'm forced through my intense desires to act in a particular way. You see? And if, if I stop to think about it, or if somebody calls me out about, why are you acting like this? Then you can blame. Well, it, it's it's this or it's that, you know. It's lust. These intense desires, and all we have to do is aim those intense desires at catching Krishna, and that takes away all this, these problems. It takes away, you know, the if. If, here's a question for you. Everyone can think about this. If 
lust, you know that, that verse, 336, where Arjuna asks Krishna that. Mm -hmm. What is it that causes us to act as if by force? And Krishna answers, it's lust only, Arjuna. So if you take your way, your, your, if you change this lusting to please yourself into lusting to please Krishna, are you still forced to act by lust? Think about that. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I've set a, diff a whole different reality for myself. My lust to catch Krishna will force me to do certain things, to act in love for him. You see? To read about him. I'll be forced because... I'm lusty to catch him. I want to learn about him. So I'll read, I'll associate with people who will teach me, who we can share our realizations. Why? Out of lust. So lust will take you any way you point it, any direction you point your lust, it'll pull you along. You point your lust at Krishna, and you'll be you'll feel forced to act. You see, out of your intense desire achieve Krishna. All right. Thank you all so much. Thank you, right. Cyber World. I'll see you when I get back from India.